Hello and welcome to episode three of The Mechanism. I'm your host, David Johnston. I am a newly qualified professional coach, yoga teacher, cycling coach, and many other things, uh, with a huge interest in all things unusual. And I have with me, as always, my co-host, Ash. Ash, how are you today? Very good, David. Yeah, yeah, really good. Looking forward to this. Um, it's a bank holiday weekend coming up. It's Friday. Let's, uh, yeah, what more could you want? Bank holiday weekend coming up, and we're going to have a chat about a topic that, that we find really interesting. So, uh, yeah, all good this end. Thank you. Wonderful. Glad to hear it. So first of all, I'd like to say a thank you to all of our listeners so far. The feedback we've had has been wonderful and we will continue to uh, press on as we have been doing previously. Uh, the topic that we're going to talk about today is rather broad, rather all-encompassing, but I think it will help set the scene and set the, the framework for where we're going to be going in future episodes. Today, we are talking about the paranormal. And as you all know, I come from a linguistics background, so I'll start with what is the paranormal? And according to the Oxford English Dictionary, paranormal is designating supposed psychical events and phenomena such as clairvoyance or telekinesis whose operation is outside the scope of the known laws of nature or of normal scientific understanding of or relating to such phenomena. And I think it's a reasonable description. Um, for me, there's a couple of things that pop out of there straight away. First of all, that it's describing a huge range of phenomena. It's describing them as supposed, and I'm going to challenge that straight away because they happen. <laughs> By whatever means we're measuring them, there is something happening here. We might not know what it is, but something is going on. There's also this description here that they are outside the scope of the known laws of nature or normal scientific understanding. And I would like to challenge that and say perhaps they sit outside the currently known laws of nature or current scientific understanding and i think if we were to have a scientist on here there'd be some debate about what current is or what normal is within any type of science ash what are your thoughts yeah i totally agree with you you picked out a couple of points there that yeah i mean the two words that come that, that kind of stand out for me are the known and normal as well it's like well yeah it might, it's not known at the moment but it doesn't mean it won't become known late, at a later stage and you've just touched upon it there well what is normal what is normal in any sense who, who are we to define what is normal who is science to define what is normal scientific understanding? And we mentioned on previous previous podcast uh, episodes around, you know, just because something isn't scientifically accepted in one era, um, you know, it goes back to the whole thing of, oh, you know, heresy and being burned at the stake. Um, whereas a couple of, you know, uh, centuries later, it's fully accepted and it's, well, that's just part of science. Um, so what's to say these, um, that the paranormal aspects we're going to be discussing today won't fall into that category and, 10, 20, 100 years' time. Absolutely. The other beautiful examples of that that are often discussed are meteors and meteorites. For, for many years, people were finding these lumps of rock and metal that had fallen out of the skies and were told they couldn't be. And, of course, they are. And then we look at the largest and most diverse form of life on the planet, that of microorganisms. There's actually more of them, and by weight, the greatest volume of life on this planet is microorganisms that up until a matter of a century or so ago, we didn't know existed. So who's to say there aren't other things equally pod potentially in terms of scale? Maybe they're at the other end of the scale that we don't yet know about. Science is a journey and not, a, not, a, not, not an end goal, perhaps. Definitely, and science is very much um, dependent I think on on the advancement um, and the current state of the art of technology as well. Science and technology are very closely intertwined, and um, science very much relies on on technology. Particularly if we're talking around being able to go onto those micro scales. I mean, I think that what you were referencing there was probably around microscopes, the invent, invention of microscopes, and, and kind of how that opened up a whole other branch of science that <clears throat> was previously only theoretical, really. Um, but if we're talking around what the future science might look like. We're, you know, we were discussing off air around artificial intelligence and the impact that may have in, in, in a few years to come around humanity. Um, but yeah, AI is just one thing. What, what around 
quantum mechanics. What are we going to discover in that when we start using, we start delving into the quantum realm? So, yeah, these are all really, really uh, interesting things to discuss. And, and, I, and I think what we currently define as paranormal may change and become part of that normal scientific understanding to use the uh, Oxford uh, English Dictionary's uh, definition. Absolutely. We've seen that over time that, you know, what was once outside or on the fringes is, is the normal. And I think there's a, a key distinction to be made when we think about science as well is the difference between perhaps what you might term frontier science and pseudoscience. And for me, frontier science is exploring those things at the boundaries, those outliers, those things that are at the edge that we don't yet understand. Whereas pseudoscience is is taking a theory and attempting to explain it through an existing scientific lens, um, (laughs) rather a stretch. But there's two. I think there's a real distinction that needs to be made there. That actually these people who are at the forefront of science and some of what they're reporting or, or trying to measure won't be. Mm. as they expected but that's the very nature of it no i like that i think that's a good way of looking at it and uh, i think all too often people are and, and it's because of you know numerous people have touched upon this graham hancock being once but it's, being one it's the dogmatic nature of academia at the moment and and it's very much uh you must follow this because it's the way we've always done it and if you try and do anything else out of it you, you are a heretic you are kind of ostracized and you're pushed away and um i think it puts a lot of people off doing that frontier science and and trying to really push the boundaries of of, um, of science uh, and that needs yeah. to change and hopefully we are seeing a gradual change in that uh, particularly in these fields we're actually seeing a lot more academics now being quite open around the fact that they're looking into these topics and that they're actually trying to make a, a real scientific understanding of what's going on yeah and the, you know the very fact that Harvey Loeb's project is the Galileo project is is really heartening that he's not only trying to look at the frontier but he's he's using a forerunner who went through that, you know, that very description of being, you know, heretical and the world can't possibly be the way that you describe it. And again, we think to, to another popular name in this sphere of, of Dr. Gary Nolan and his status that, or his statement, sorry, that he looks at the outliers. He looks at the odd ones, not the normal, because it's in those areas that you find and make the new discoveries. And for him, that's a, I think there's a, a challenge there that he enjoys, but there's also the commercial aspects of it that he clearly <laughs> likes yeah, to yeah. capitalize upon. Well, definitely. You know, if you're an entrepreneur or you're, or you're an investor, you, you know, whether you own a, a VC fund or whatever, yeah, ultimately you, you need to be, you, you want to have something first that no one else has, don't you? So um, it's, it's no different if you're, if you're trying to, yeah, invest in something that's going to make a lot of money or you're trying to find the next uh, scientific breakthrough. It's, it's, it's the same principle, really. It is. It and it sounds like he, he he manages to combine the both, which is just great. Yeah, it's a real a real crafty balance he manages to strike there, isn't it? It is <laughs> definitely. Um, so one of the other things that came up in that description there that that I gave of of the the term paranormal is it outlined a couple of the types of phenomena that are often considered paranormal, and it talked about clairvoyance or telekinesis. And I had a really fun. Yeah, almost a game with my family this last week, whereby I drew an umbrella on a sheet of paper, and we will share this on our Twitter feed. And I wrote at the top of it, paranormal. And I asked my two young children, 10 and 8, and my wife, not 10 or 8, to write down or to throw at me ideas which they thought would sit under that paranormal umbrella. And if I have a quick look at this, there must be 70, 60, 70 different topics that they've written about here. And what they've already tried to do, which really impressed me, was they've tried to categorize some of them. So I'll read out some of the ones that I think everybody's familiar with, um, and they're probably what everybody immediately thinks of when we talk about the paranormal. And then we'll talk a little bit about some of those specifically i think ash and i will talk about some of our own personal experiences and thoughts around some of these um but i'm going to throw this out there as a challenge to our listeners and there might be a prize i don't know what it might be it might be that i buy you a pint or give you a drink or something like that at some point but what i challenge you to do out there is to expand upon this design that we've come up with here this paranormal umbrella and what i'd like you to try and do is just as my children did, start to categorize these. So, for example, we have across this, we have UFOs, ghosts, cryptids, psychic phenomena, magic, near-death experiences. What I'd love you as a listener out there to do, and I'm I'm limited in my 
artistic abilities here. I'm certainly, uh, you know, a wordsmith rather than a than a painter or a, a graphic artist. But what I'd really love somebody to try and do is to take all of these different categories, drop them under this umbrella, and then let's dig a little bit deeper. So let's start to go into those sub-levels of those major topics. So if we look at UFOs, we have different areas of the UFO UAP phenomena. So we have, for example, sightings. We have potential abductions. We have interactions with beings. If we look at ghosts, again, there's a whole sub-genre and subcategory of ghosts. There are precognitive events that are li- linked to ghosts. There are poltergeists. There are things like stone tape theory, where perhaps you're watching a replay of something that's happened in the past. So again, my challenge is, if anybody out there with a better visual brain than me can draw this out, make it beautiful and creative, we could put it on a t-shirt perhaps, that's maybe the vision we're looking for here, all these different categories, all the subcategories beneath them. And then what I really want somebody really smart to do out there is to then tie together all of the links and somebody to highlight all of the ones that aren't linked. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, I think it's a really good idea. Not only have you got the visual <laughs> visual element, but as we've always said, you know, and, and part of the reason why we're doing this podcast is because there's a lot of different topics that are often looked at in silos and it needs to be brought together if we're going to have any understanding of what it's all about and how it's all linked. Um, and I think, you know, getting back to AI, there is at some point in the future um, there, there is definitely an element here to bring all this together and, and let AI have a look at it, an objective uh, look at, you know, with no emotion involved, um, look at trying to find the, the links and the patterns amongst all these different topics. So, uh, yeah, I like your idea of a T-shirt, but I also think it would be good to, yeah, get AI involved where we can. We're a long way off from that at the moment. But also as part of this podcast, perhaps we could have a have a, a graphical thing that we add to, you know, and this, this becomes a kind of like a living living umbrella where we have lots of uh, each each time you know a new topic pops up we add something else onto it and uh, yeah that i think that'd be pretty, pretty cool and then it gets the listeners involved as well and there's probably topics on there that we wouldn't have even thought about that perhaps we can then discuss about um you know in a future episode ash you're a genius what this can be what this can become is this can become the library of episodes so as we talk about a topic we can link it back to each episode as well i think that's a really nice way to do it and then you know again for our listeners if they're looking for a particular topic they can look at where ufos sit and they can see our episode list that relate to ufos if they're looking for one on psychedelics they can find our episode on psychedelics and then we can start to tie these together i think that's a beautiful idea so um yeah Anybody out there with a real creative bent in our listenership, get in touch with us at the usual places. So I talked there about some major categories, UFOs, ghosts, cryptids, uh, spiritual phenomena, I think maybe one that we could consider. What I'd like to do is share some of my own experiences in some of these areas. And I'll start with what for me really brought me into this whole topic originally, which is is UFOs or UAPs. And for those of you who want to know the difference between a UFO and a UAP, go back and listen to episode two, where Ash and I talk about it in great detail. Um, so I have long had an interest in UFOs, and it goes back to the Usborne Book of the Paranormal on UFOs. And I've also had UFO sightings, the most prominent of which was in interestingly enough, a well-known local UFO hotspot. So both Ash and I have a one of the things that first got us talking is we have a shared interest in the work of former police officer Tony Dodd. Tony lived locally to me and had UFO sightings on a piece of moorland, maybe five miles away from my home, a place called Carlton Moor. And having an interest in the subject, myself and one of my friends decided we'd go and sit on the moors and see what happened. And generally, not a lot happened. Lots of cars drove past us. Lots of people thought we were up there having a smoke, or I dread to think what some people might have thought we were up there doing. Um, But on one occasion, actually, one of the earliest times we parked up on this moorland in our car during the night watching the world go by, we were approached by two police officers who pulled up their car next to ours, got out and said, what are you doing, lads? To which we were probably 
two Frank and Auntie said, well, we're looking for UFOs. And we were expecting the whole, you know, oh, yeah, brilliant, mocking and comedic response from them, especially from two police officers. And what they said to us was, uh, for me, to me at the time, quite surprising. Well, where are you looking? We said, well, in the sky. No, lads, you don't want to be looking in the sky around here. People see them just above the horizon. Sorry? And it turned out that these two police officers frequently saw these unusual lights, these unusual discs, orange balls of light in a particular area in the sky. So that's what we did. We started looking in the same area. And probably after a period of six months, we had our first sighting and we would see these lights suddenly appearing, moving around a little bit and then going off. Um, They weren't aeroplanes. They potentially could possibly have been satellites, but highly unlikely. I don't know. So we, we see these occasionally. And of course, me and my friend Jonathan became known as the UFO nuts. All of our friends thought it was hilarious that we were seeing flying saucers and little green men and all of those kind of jokes. And on one occasion, we persuaded... 10 other people to join us on the moorland, most of whom were highly critical, highly sceptical, thought we both had a screw loose. And within an hour of us having appeared on the moor, within 50 feet of us, two orange balls of light appeared, moved in tandem, in parallel, across in front of us, no more than 50 feet away, and then blinked out. And to this moment, I still get a little bit of a crackle of electricity through my skin thinking about it. Um, And sort of this sensation that whatever this phenomena is had come up and put a show on that night, knowing that we were with a group of highly sceptical, highly critical people um, who walked away, perhaps with their lives changed, perhaps not. I think most of them just have gone back around their, their day-to-day lives. Hard to measure. I was just going to ask you there, um, you kind of touched upon it there, is do, do you think it was the kind of like collective willing to see something, like everyone's there and it's the, the power of the mind to kind of want to see something that kind of almost manifested it in some way? What's your, what's your thoughts on that? At the time, I didn't think that. At the time, I thought this was whatever this phenomena is, being playful and showing off almost. The more I think about it in retrospect, I begin to wonder whether there is something in that. Um, so we were doing this this in the early 1990s. And what myself and my friend would do is we would sit in the car, or we'd sit outside the car, depending on the temperature, and we would effectively meditate. We would allow our minds to go into a restful, peaceful state. The other thing we would often do is I I was a photographer at the time. I would take a high-powered stroboscopic flashlight with me and we would flash that into the sky in the hope of attracting something. And as I said, we try and get into this meditative state. Looking back now, that sounds an awful lot. CE5. CE5 protocols. Now, we we had no idea what CE5 protocols were at that time. Um, I'm not even sure that Dr. Greer had... CE5 protocols in the early 90s, he may well have done, but we certainly weren't aware of it. And so looking back on it, I'm beginning to wonder whether we were in some way either establishing that connection, increasing that connection, or maybe, as you said, just the power of that collective mind group to draw something in. It's interesting, and it's interesting that you weren't aware of any existing protocols, and it's almost as if it was just in your inner psyche that, well, this is how we make connect. This is how we connect with whatever this paranormal supernatural thing is um and and i wonder if that's just ingrained in human dna that you know if we want to connect with whatever this this other is that we kind of there's just a knowing deep inside that that's how we do it or that's one method of doing it just as you know certain tribes in remote parts of the world know that if they take a certain plant it's going to induce uh you know dmt or ayahuasca experience um it's just interesting What's your thoughts on that? Do you think there's some sort of like encoded? It's encoded in human DNA, or it's, it's in our uh, it's in our DNA memory somehow, and we we just know we know, but we don't know why we know. Uh, yeah, again, if you'd have asked me this at the time, I would have said no idea. But yeah, I think that there is a an, an almost an innate knowledge here, and I, I, I'm cautious of using the term innate, but I think there is an understanding, and uh, on other 
occasions when we've talked, you, you and I, we've talked about the consciousness connection to this. And one of the parallels that I draw is, again, for me through my yoga practice, the, the end game of yoga, if you like, is to achieve a, effectively a spiritual enlightenment. And that, for me, is that balance, that connection with the universe, that oneness, being at one with everything. And we achieve that through movement, through motion, through breathing, through quieting the mind. And you look at a lot of religious practice, whether that be through prayer, chanting, song. You look at the architecture of megalithic sites through to churches. And these are designed in such a way to stimulate certain resonances or certain elements of the brain that I think help encourage us to achieve these these states that allow us to see these things so yeah I'm a it's certainly an area I think that there's something there's there is a connection there I don't know what it is Mm. No, I, I I tend to agree, and you've referenced there the kind of historical sites, and it's always like we've we've lost touch with that ancient knowledge as well, which we've touched upon before. But yeah, when you look at some of the architectural, uh, sorry, ancient sites and the architecture that was involved in that, like you like you mentioned, you know, to have that precision shaping of uh, certain buildings. Um, I'm reminded I can't remember the name of them. The caves in India they found, which different chambers had different resonances and the frequencies were. It's just insane how how people of that time with our perceived knowledge of what they were able to do and their knowledge around science and um and their understanding clearly they were way more advanced than we give them credit but what exactly were they trying to invoke by, by building that it's it's really really interesting and that's how i've another episode in its own right um no no i found out that that's a really fascinating account and, and thanks for thanks for sharing that um another thing that kind of just came into my mind was the whole notion of kind of energy lines, grid lines, the earth lights phenomena kind of touches upon that. So I'm assuming what you mentioned there sounds very similar to like what people nowadays would call an orb. Absolutely. Yeah. In the the 90s, we called them O-balls, orange balls of light. But yeah, very, very much uh, an orb. Was the light, um, you know, some people describe it as as kind of not, not emanating light. It's kind of light within itself. It's just, how would you describe it? That is exactly how I would describe it. There was no lensing mm. so when you you know shine a light through a torch or through a, a headlight or anything like that there's a beam of light there is lensing because it's because literally that light is coming from a lens it casts a shadow yeah, dissipating and, and yeah. there was nothing these were you could have almost drawn a black line frame around these two balls of light there was no nothing wow. shining out from them there was no beams of light they were self-contained there was no brighter point in the middle they were equal light all the way around probably round about basketball size um and they moved in tandem that was the other thing that caught me is they they moved as a pair as if they were connected in some way um but again they appeared out of nowhere they just literally on on the the our eye line in front of us they were there one minute moved across and then they were gone and there is one other element to this that I still that still sort of gnaws at the back of my mind a little bit, which was that I had a really powerful uh, spotlight with me, two and a half million candle power spotlight. And I very nearly shone it at them (laughs) and didn't. And I know something said don't. (laughs) And I don't know whether that was me or whether that was something else, but I I, I got a really strong don't. Um, And again, when we hear about some of the, interactions that people have had with orbs i begin to wonder whether i got lucky that day yeah i mean yeah there's we, we know of accounts of you know medical issues that have emerged after exposure to to yeah uap orbs that kind of thing so uh, perhaps it was uh, just as well you didn't and perhaps they, you know whatever it, this intelligence was if it was indeed as intelligence was trying to warn you say look we don't you get don't want you to get hurt so no that's 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 fascinating really interesting stuff Superb. So the next one on my on my list across here as we roll across this umbrella is ghosts. And I don't have any individual ghost stories to tell you, but being a, a linguist, as I keep labouring the point, I do have a really interesting one that I would like to talk about here, which is about cultural differences and cultural understandings of words. And probably the one of the most common ghost subtypes that we were familiar with is poltergeist which literally means noisy ghost. And it's a German word. And 
in common use in English, but in English, the term poltergeist is often associated with something that is perhaps malevolent and maybe means harm. There certainly seems to be a an evolution of them in where they they might start with tapping and scratching and then it moves towards potential evil, uh, potential even physical harm. So there's a, a, a malevolent aspect to them there. Whereas in German, the term poltergeist is cheeky, almost friendly, um, with a sort of, you know, the, the friendly ghost kind of element to it. We mentioned and the jester in the previous episode, a bit jestery. Absolutely, the jester. We, we refrain from calling it the trickster because we're going to coin the, the term the, the jester. Um, yeah. And then just to flip that on its head, in the UK, we talk about a spook. And that's perhaps a little bit less menacing. And it's, you know, the idea of the bedsheet. Well, it's like Casper, ghost, the ghost, isn't it? That kind of thing. It is. It's the bedsheet over the head as a spook and a bit, you know. Whereas in Germany, the idea of a spook or the connotation of a spook is that this is actually something that, again, is quite malevolent, threatening, and almost moving perhaps in towards a, a, de- a demonic aspect. So, again, it's just, a for me, a really interesting lesson in in when we're classifying things like this, we have to be really careful because even even the same words used in different countries have very different meanings. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fascinating. Uh, it's interesting the different cultural slants and yeah, how one just being just being aware of the subtleties and how one word can mean something completely different in, in another culture or another country is is, is fascinating because you yeah. But what what caused that change though? That's because the words like Polskite, for example, it's it's the same word. Yeah. Um, it's a German word that we've kind of adopted, but it's got different connotations and different meanings. So, uh, yeah, that's really that's really interesting why it's changed meaning and why it means one thing to to one but not the other. So, I'm not saying maybe I have the answer. Ger- I'm sure you don't either. But uh, it's just it's just interesting human nature, isn't it? Why, why that maybe, maybe the Germans are just more welcoming of people moving things around in their house. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we've got any German listeners and you've got a, you've got an insight into that, please let us know. <laughs> In fact, we I know we have at least one German listener. So this this is a shout out to the uh, the man who makes the, uh, the the music for this podcast, which is my brother James R. Johnston. So if you're out there, James, he's lived in Germany for the last twenty plus years. Give us your take on what uh, spook and poltergeist in German and English for us. Yeah, that'd be good. And many thanks for creating the the, the wonderful uh, music for the, for this pod. It's, it's awesome. So uh, certainly could have done it without you. Thank you. Superb. Um, so moving on from ghosts, there's one other one that I wanted to touch upon here. And I, we in the introduction there, we talked about perhaps psychic phenomena, telekinesis or clairvoyance. And again, I have a what I consider to be similar to one of those major areas, and that that's often referred to as a near death experience. Now, this wasn't, as far as I'm aware, a near death experience, but it fits a lot of the hallmarks, a lot of the typical. Uh, signs or symptoms perhaps of what a a near-death experience is and this is something I experienced as a a very young man I was having teeth extracted at the dentist I was having a general anesthetic or at least gas I presume it's what they call the general anesthetic in in dentistry terms yeah it would be and as soon as I went under I had this knowledge that I was going to die. I felt myself in the middle of a whirlpool and I was spinning towards the middle of the whirlpool. And when I got to the middle, I knew that was the end. Everything was distorted. I could still hear the voices and the sounds and the actions of the dentist, the dentist's assistant, everybody in the room. I was totally aware of them. I could hear the sound of the tooth being extracted. Everything was slightly, I would say, metallic in terms of tone, almost like, you know, when your voice goes a bit roboty on a Zoom call and it's not good reception. Um, I also got an overwhelming sensation of peace and calm. So I knew that this, whatever this spiral, this movement I was going on, it wasn't quite your classic, you know, coming to the light kind of thing. I knew when I got to the end, that would be the end. And I woke up, came out of this just before the end. So it's not a classic near-death experience, but to me it was certainly a very early example of um, an altered state, 
another reality that I was I was in, and uh, an exploration of of again that perhaps our conventional senses that we we think about are not mm. not all there is. Mm, indeed. So whilst it bears a lot of the hallmarks of a classic near-death experience, I won't describe it as such. I will still call it an NDE in a near-dentist experience. <laughs> um, another one to add to our category list of paranormal events. Um, so, yeah, that was, uh, again, one of those unusual experiences. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've certainly not heard of a near-dentist experience, but, you know, that's just about <laughs> New Frontier. That's, let's add it into the mix. Um, so I've got a couple of questions. So we, you mentioned that metallic robotic cell. That's really interesting because that, that – that almost does sound like you're almost losing signal of something. So if we have this, um, you know, there's, there's various theories that consciousness is received and that, you know, you take, you have uh, anesthesia and it kind of turns it off. You're losing that signal. It's almost a bit like a Faraday cage around consciousness itself. So, um, yeah, like Stuart Hammerhoff, some of the work he's doing around that with the microtubules and all that kind of stuff sort of fits in with that. And I think his background is, uh, I'm going to say the word wrong. Is it anesthesiology, is it? Is that how you pronounce it? Anesthesiology, perfect. I don't know. Perfect, I don't right. know. Is that how you He's an anesthetist. He's an anesthetist, yes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that kind of touches upon some of the work he's been doing. There. That's really interesting. Did you actually, you've obviously mentioned some of the feelings you had and the sounds, but did you actually have any visual stimuli happening? Like, could you actually still see things? Or, uh, and if you did, was that physically what was in the room or was it almost what some people would refer to as your, your third eye and it was sort of in your mind that you could see things? It was a blend of both. So wow. I could still see the shapes. I could still see the movement of the people around me in the room. But the form it took on was almost psychedelic. Now, at that point, I'll have been maybe 10, 10 or 11 years old. I had no idea what a psychedelic was. Mm. But there were hyper-real colours the movements blowed and uh, blowed, flowed and blended. And the best way I can describe it is in some of the um, South American temples, you have these bright blues and reds and yellows. And it was, it was those. It was really, really, yeah, bright colors. But again, almost as a perhaps an overlay or a seeing through the, the reality. Um, Again, to what you were saying there, maybe a, a change in the frequency, a change in the signal that I was receiving or perceiving. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I just noticed you, you, know, you knocked your mic then, David, because you were so enthusiastic. You were talking with your hands. So if you can move it back and make it, <laughs> make it a bit closer so we can hear you. No, no, a bit closer. I think it was further. Yeah, yeah. Don't, we don't want to miss out on any of this good stuff. That's really interesting. Um, so some of the stuff you touched upon there almost is similar to what people describe, yeah, when they're on psychedelics or they've had a DMT trip or anything like that. One thing I want to know, and I'm sure other people listening, is did you see any entities though? Did you see the machine elves or did you see any any kind of what could be described as an entity or a figure or anything like that? Did you have any engagement with anyone during that to your knowledge? I didn't at that point. Absolutely none whatsoever. Beyond the, as I said, the the real people that were in the room with me and their... <laughs> Almost, it's, the way I describe it was fractal. There we are. And that's the word I was looking yeah. for before. It was like a fractal, as if I was in the heart of a fractal. But yes, there was no there was no other beings or entities or other communication that I had with me. Hmm. Just this sense of knowing that the the middle of this spiral, the middle of this circle, was the end. But there was no fear. There was no terror. There was just absolute peace, calm, and and bliss. And what was your concept of time? Did you feel like you were outside of time? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. I have had other occasions where I felt more outside of time than that one, but there was this, this feeling, and I described it at the time to my father, actually, as a, a sense of dislocation. Mm. Are you willing to share that one? Or? <laughs> yeah, just so the other, the other really unusual sort of, and we talked about this a little bit before we, we started recording today because to, I'm still struggling to describe what it was. And it was an event where I was with a group of other people and I I think probably the best way to describe it is I had a, a almost like a, a Kundalini experience where I felt this connection to the universe. I felt this, I didn't even feel I was connected to the universe. I was out of body. I was not me. 
I was definitely outside time. Mm-hmm. I was almost looking back in, but only in tiny little snippets and little frames of it, almost as if I dropped in and out. Again, it shared a lot of the what people describe when they talk about psychedelic experiences. And I, I have never taken acid or anything like that. And I certainly had never at this point. And people I have talked to about say, this, uh, this sounds like a, an acid trip to me. And I know for a fact that on that occasion, nobody had spiked me. I hadn't been given any acid or anything like that, but it was so similar to that kind of experience. And the overwhelming sensation I had on that occasion was of connectedness was of being outside of time and this idea that that was the real real it was yes. more real than more real than real and it didn't last long maybe an hour um and i yeah i sort of came back out of it and just went about my day normally but with this strange feeling in my head of where have i been what's what's happened in that hour it was yeah very unusual Sounds it, yeah. Um, I've not had anything remotely as interesting as that. I've had some strange, vivid dreams that felt more real than real. And again, I was detached. I wasn't me. I was some ancient figure or, mm. um, yeah, which has been strange. But, you know, you can just attribute that to dream or dream state. But I have had one, I think they call them false awakenings, where you, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night and everything just seemed a little bit different. It's a sort of, uh, I don't know my view of what was going on. I mean, it was obviously nighttime, but everything was just tinged a little bit kind of grayscale and a little bit, I don't know, just a different, it wasn't quite normal from what I was used to visually, even at night when everything is pretty dark. Um, you know, moonlight looks slightly different. I mean, it just was almost, the coloring was different. Anyway, completely mundane. I got up, walking to the toilet, <clears throat> got to the toilet, I went to, you know, undo my, my trousers and go to the toilet, my pajamas, and uh, realized there was no body there. <laughs> there, there was no oh, me. Wow. Um, so here I am at the toilet, and my body's not there. Um, so yeah, and then in that moment, I just kind of flew back into my body, woke up, and I was then in my body, and was like, oh, I need to go to the toilet. So it was almost as if my consciousness um, had, had got. I'd got there, knew that I needed to use the loo in the middle of the night, but my body hadn't caught up. And uh, yeah, that was pretty strange, pretty weird. Um, but it, again, it goes, what you were saying, it felt weirder than real. It felt real, really real. It wasn't like a dream. It was, it was real. It was happening. There was just something different about my perception of reality in, in that moment. So yeah, that was strange. That's the kind of only real out-of-body-ish type thing I think I've had happen to me. Um, again, though, I mean, like... What, I don't know. I was in a dream, you know, in dream, dream state. I always get hypnagogic and hypnagogic mixed up. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was in that state, hypnagogic state, I think. And um, was that contributing to it? Who knows? It's, but it was certainly weird. It was, it was weird. Really interesting part of that for me were the, the, the two elements there that, again, I'd like to explore a little bit more with you. The first was this, this idea that it wasn't quite the same. You just knew that it wasn't quite the same. You felt that something was different, almost as if there was a, a shift in, in colour, perhaps, did you say? Yeah, yeah. It was the colouring was different and the environment just didn't seem the same, didn't seem right. It didn't seem like it was through my normal, I don't know, through my normal lens, shall we say. Like, yeah. you know, it was almost as if like I'd put sunglasses on, everything was just a little bit different or you get those really over, you know, the whole rose-tinted glasses and those really <laughs> yeah. overly powered polarising glasses. It was just, yeah, it was slightly different. Um, just had a different vibe about it. Yeah. Can't, Interesting. Uh, hard to describe, but visually it was different, but also my feeling of being in that environment was different. The other thing that caught my eye on that when you talked about it was this, when you had this realisation that the, the, the physical body perhaps hadn't come with you and you mm. flew back into it. How did that feel? I don't know. It just happened so quick. Um, yeah, just one, one second I was there and then I was back in my bed. So, yeah. If it felt odd waking up, like literally jumped up out of bed, like what the hell was that all about? But obviously task in hand, still needed to, still needed to use the loo at that point, probably more so now because I was a bit freaked out by it. But um, yeah, very strange. Incredible. Wonderful. Has anybody else, any of our listeners had any other similar experiences they'd like to share with us? We'd be happy to hear. And, uh, you know, maybe one day we'll, uh, we'll bring you on to tell you all, tell, tell us all about your experiences as well.
Definitely. Yeah, I think the thing I just referred to is is, is quite common. Uh, I think they're known as false awakenings um, from, from my limited research on it, but I think it's fairly common. Um, but that's a data point for me. What does that mean? You know, what can we connect it to? Um, what, 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 what stage of sleep were people in at that time? Is there a particular part of sleep where that's more common than not? There's a lot of interesting things here to pick out. Yeah, there's so many variable factors that can can be attributed or can be related or, or unrelated almost to these as well. That's really interesting. Mm, yeah. So should we go through some more examples of paranormal? What What is paranormal or deemed to be paranormal? I think you've touched upon quite a few there. I mean, that, that, yeah, um, that umbrella is huge, isn't it? Are there any there that's kind of picking your fancy that we want to kind of explore a little bit more? Yeah, one of the other ones that, again, I think I always am drawn towards a little bit is the are the cryptids. And this is this idea that mm. there's animals, creatures that are on this planet that share it with us that perhaps are either relics or they're... Um, yeah, and again, so yeah, the, the, these typically cover the likes of the Yeti, Bigfoot, Sasquatch. Um, as my daughter loves to call them, ABCs, alien big cats, these idea that there's these black panthers surrounding you know walking through the, the countryside I've seen, one. I've seen one but but I will, I will caveat that i don't know if you would describe it as a supernatural alien big cat or whether it was a big cat as in back in the 70s i think when the the new act came in banning exotic animals in the uk people that own them just released them and there's rumor that there's potentially a breeding population that is out in the uk and that they're self-sustaining and that 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 is potentially why there's animal attacks things like that um where i live there is there's quite it's quite open that there's there's black cat attacks you know someone had their dog attacked um during covid near here um and where i saw this um, black cat on the side of the road and it had the whole movement of a panther had big um yellow eyes reflecting back in my headlights and it just had the movement of a large cat it wasn't a dog it was on the side of a country lane down one of the ditches it kind of walked i saw it for you know probably about five seconds it took me a, a couple of seconds to register oh my god what the hell have i just seen um but yeah you can actually almost you can almost track locations they seem to be at various parts of the year so it's almost as if they're like following patterns i mean this isn't an area of expertise i have there's plenty of people out there who yeah. do actually um research this you know i think there's the british big cat association and, and places like that if they're, if they're still going but yeah it's, it, that's 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 interesting um there's, there's certainly quite a lot of reports of that and if you put freedom of information requests into police forces up and down the country you know, I know my my local force. I think they had six reports of that back in twenty twenty. So they, yeah, wow. it happens. And this and this is where this uh, this is why the area of cryptids I find really fascinating and interesting because it is where perhaps the idea of what is paranormal and supernatural and what is just unknown, you know, mm. but physically real, is 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 a superb crossover point. And you'll find many people who are adamant that Bigfoot and Sasquatch are relic hominids or they're a, a you know, a primate of some description that as yet is is, is unclassified. Um, my own personal favourite of all of these is, of course, the Loch Ness Monster. And when I was seven or eight years old, I appeared on local radio <laughs> being interviewed <laughs> about what I thought the Loch Ness Monster was. Um, and I I remember, it wouldn't be great if we could find that clip in the archive somewhere. <laughs> I'm going to have to ask my mum if she's got a copy of it. I, I bet you she has somewhere on audio tape. We'll see if we can find it. It was on Radio Air back in, oh gosh, the 80s. Um, but yeah, and uh, I, I remember being asked, what do you think it was? And the, the, the eight-year-old Dave, he said, I think it's probably a relic plesiosaur that got left in, in the lock <laughs> after, after the after an ice age or something like Such that. Such a Davey response, even at that age. <laughs> precocious little yeah, so and so that I was, and it was followed up by my friend Nicholas, who was on the the radio interview with me, being asked by the interviewer, "And what do you think it eats, Nicholas?" And Nicholas Nicholas's response was coral and shrubs. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very much interested in the whole crypto thing as well. Um, and just getting back to what you were saying about Bigfoot, some people obviously claim it's flesh and blood and it's real, but then there's another, there's always the flip side, isn't there, of people think it's a little bit more paranormal and a little bit, it's interdimensional, the way it can seemingly bleed in and out of reality and it doesn't quite kind of demonstrate the same characteristics that a flesh and blood mammal would. So um, yeah, really, really intriguing. And I think we'll probably have a whole 
other episode devoted to, to just Bigfoot on its own. I mean, you can, you can break these down into subgenres and different types of cryptids, can't you? But I'm certainly interested in it, particularly in the UK front as well, because Paul Sinclair, big fan of his work, what he's doing in the Northeast, uh, Yorkshire coast, your, your yeah. way, your neck of the woods, um, certainly closer to, the, to, to there than I am. Um, but yeah, the sort of stuff he's doing up there, and there's, there's loads of reports around that whole kind of uh, multi-phenomena, I think it is what he calls it, a multi-phenomena zone. So, you know, he's getting cryptid reports where there's UFO reports, where there's, um, yeah, stretch strange phenomena happening, um, app, even apportation of different objects yeah. people have had. Like, all this kind of stuff is just happening in, in one location. Um well, one general region. Absolutely, it's, it's yeah. It's it fairly localised, isn't it, yeah. with him? And it's been dubbed the kind of UK Skinwalker Ranch, hasn't it? So it's, it's yeah. yeah, definitely. If no one's checked him out, check out Paul Sinclair. Hopefully, at some point, we can even speak to him on here. That would be great, wouldn't it? Definitely, we will. Uh, we will invite Paul on. But again, what you touched upon there again, Skinwalkers, I, is, is one that's very popular at the moment. And again, I wonder whether there's this historic link here between the ideas of werewolves and dogmen and skinwalkers and again there seems to be this long long historical connection to a lot of these these phenomena so yeah um and again going back to one of our joint favorites in tony dodd you know these aren't necessarily um to do with cryptids but he did a lot of research into animal mutilations in the uk Mm-hmm. And we often get asked, oh, well, you know, why do why are there only ever cattle mutilations in the US? And actually, if you start to look deeper, they don't just happen in the US. They're reported in there. There is, a, again, a cultural framework within, within which they can be described and defined. But similar things happen all around the world. Yeah, it's a global phenomenon. I think recently there was a good episode on um, the new podcast, the Weaponized podcast that um, Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp have done. And they, they were speaking to Colin Kelleher about the... Um, the mutilation side of things and obviously he has a quite a lot of experience in that from his time on nids um so yeah it's, it's people saying it's just a us phenomenon. no completely not it's, it's global and we've definitely had cases of that happen in the uk and not just cattle as well i mean going back to paul sinclair i think in uh, recently over the last couple of years he's had uh, badger mutilations and and that kind of thing happening as well so it's not just and sheep and you know but all kinds of wildlife seems to be being mutilated for some reason so um yeah, that's that's a bit of the darker side of the phenomena of this, these unknown phenomena that, that some people don't want to touch. But it, you know, it's happening out there. It really is, and again, that that was very similar to the work that that Tony Dodd was finding that this wasn't just heads of cattle. This was, yeah, again, I remember him reporting on on badgers and even smaller mammals. Occasionally, there'd be a pile of them with uh, with these seemingly surgical incisions in them again. So very yeah, very odd. odd. So. Looking at this paranormal umbrella, Ash, where do you want to go with it? Which which ones leap out at you? I realise I've hogged most of our airtime this week. Um, oh, there's so many on here. And yeah, I've had it, it, weird things happen throughout my life that you can attribute to, to some of these. But um, well, let's take Poligeist, for example. Um, so I've got an interesting... Well, I think it's interesting. It was certainly interesting for me. But yeah, when I was a police officer years back on patrol, I've got a little bit of a story around potential poltergeists. Um, it's probably one of the only times that we've had to um, close an incident on, on what's called the CAD, the, which is the police computer system. We've just closed it as suspected paranormal activity because what else? Do, <laughs> what, how else do you close it? I mean, it's part of it was in jest, but that's how we yeah. that's, that's how we closed it off as, as the final kind of uh, comment on the on the on the report. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I'll try and be quick with it. But yeah, middle of the morning, kind of graveyard graveyard shift, as some would say, night shift. Uh, not much going on, which is surprising. So it was a relatively quiet night for a change. Um, back at the police station doing some paperwork for a, an incident I dealt with earlier on in the shift. And we get a 909 uh, immediate call come out saying, oh, there's a burglary in progress. Um, so that's what you're doing to do. Everyone, you know, the adrenaline's buzzing. You want to catch someone in the act of doing something and catch the bad guys, right? So we head out. Fortunately, it wasn't too far away from the police station. It was, you know, a couple of minutes, you know, on, on blue lights to get there. Yeah. And um, yeah, we arrive, we surround, it's, it's a residential property, surround the house. Fortunately, the control room operator is still on the phone to the, the caller at the time. Uh, it's a female, she's at home with her young children upstairs, her husband's working, they're both shift workers. Um, I think she was a nurse and her husband worked in, in, med, in the medical world yeah. doing something. Um, and yeah, she's on the phone to the operator saying, my house is being burgled. I can hear noises downstairs, there's footsteps, there's people rifling through my stuff, there's banging going on. I'm really scared that they're going to come upstairs. I'm here with my young children. And so she, she'd managed to lock herself in her bedroom, get her young children in there, and she was still on the phone to the operator. 
uh, we've arrived. I think there was two patrols in the end, myself and my colleague who I was crewed with and another patrol. So we surrounded the property and we're like, well, how do we get in there? How do we, we don't want them getting to her. So how do we get in there? So we're sort of, um, working out what we're going to do. We managed to get her, the control room operator to hang, hang up the phone and then we phone her direct, my colleague phone. So he's on the phone and she's like, no, I can still hear them. I can still hear them. Uh, we're surrounded the property. I'm trying to work out how we're going to navigate the high fences without being, you know, attached to, um, prickly bushes and barbed wire and stuff like that. Um, uh, managing to shine a torch at a distance and we're looking through the windows. I'm at the rear of the property. Can't see anything. It's, it's literally dead still in the house. Wow. You can see there's a few things on the floor in what I thought was the living room then, but there was no movement. There was certainly no one in there. And my colleagues around the front are reading up saying, yeah, there's no one in there. Can't, can't see anyone. Can't hear anything. Um, I can't remember 100% how it transpired. Eventually, I think she found some spare keys, chucked them out the window. We managed to go in, went in there, deadly silent, nothing going on. No one in there. She was frantic, honestly, scared out of her skin that someone wow. was in there. Um, and the only thing we could find that was out of place was in the living room. There were some books that had come off of the shelf and they were on the floor. Now, I'm sure people listening are going to go, oh, what was the significance of the books? What were the books on? Oh, I honestly can't remember. I didn't attribute any significance <laughs> to it at the time. Um, yeah, explain that one. She was adamant that there was someone in her property. Um, and That's incredible. Yeah. I wonder. I just wonder how many other occasions there have been like that or maybe even just ones that haven't been reported. I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, I've had my fair share of going around to properties where people are clearly suffering from mental health issues, um, you know, yeah. uh, and, and trying to manage that. And you can attribute to them at their mental state or their drug inducement or whatever. But this was a fully rational person, you know, um, respectable job, um, yeah, just at home with her children. She hadn't even, she hadn't, the other thing is she hadn't even been to sleep yet. So some people say, oh yeah, well she woke yeah. up halfway for a dream. No, she'd, she'd been up all night with her child who was screaming and upset. And there's that whole link to do, Ooh. does this activity go around young children and is it attracted to young children? And so, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of that, but there was certainly no one. We, we searched through that place top to toe and there was, there was no one or no, nothing in there. Um, That's brilliant. Yeah. That remind have you ever seen the television program Wellington Paranormal by the wonderful Taika Waititi? Worth an explore if you haven't. No, I haven't, no. Oh, very silly, very funny. Um, and it's basically a, a three man or three person police team in, in Wellington, New Zealand <laughs> that investigate the paranormal. So yeah, it seems like you've missed your calling ass. Sounds right on my street, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I encourage I encourage our listeners to go and explore Wellington Paranormal. And when you when you do watch it i want you to write back and tell 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 me which one's me and which one's ash <laughs> <laughs> no look, if i could have combined a, a law enforcement and policing career with investigating the paranormal that would have, that would have been yeah my ideal role uh, i did have several strange things happen during my career and maybe we'll touch upon those in other other episodes but um yeah i think a lot of it does go unreported and yeah, I mean, like when weird things happen, it's, it's who are you going to call? Ghostbusters doesn't exist, so you, you know, a lot of the time the police do end up getting called to these things. Uh, this actually reminds me of, of, of one last little thing that I will share, which was um, a friend of my father's who told us this story about how when she was living with her first husband, they had a lot of paranormal activity in the house, what you would term classic poltergeist mm. banging shaking things being moved pans being moved around the kitchen waking up to find little piles of salt in the mm. kitchen and not from any particular not so not as if somebody had taken their salt cellar and poured it out that was an still apportation was of things. an apportation of little piles of salt yeah and the she said that for her that that was relatively scary she said the most scary ex event she ever had was on one occasion they could hear sounds in the house as they were coming home. So she sent her husband in to investigate. She stayed outside and he went into one room and she said she saw the light come on in the bedroom and then go out. He was in the bedroom at that time and the light did not go on at all. So almost as if they were wow. viewing two different, realities mm. and that for me you know for me this it felt like that classic schrodinger's cat that the yeah. light was both on and off at the same time literally he was in the room viewing it as off she was outside the room viewing it as on that's fascinating that's almost like there was it's like the many worlds theory and there was different yeah 
different versions of reality going on at once and they were both yeah. tuning into a separate different one. elements of it wow. but you talked there about who do you call ghostbusters they spoke to the local church mm. and the local church within three weeks had uh, somebody in to exercise the building and there's you know she was like this the local church of england you know that they do their bring and buy sales and the the choir service at christmas you talk to the church and they have these these networks of yeah i think people come in and exercise to know that but it's it's just an accepted part of oh well we need to have we need to have those in our in our arsenal you know just as you'd have a someone head of hr you know if you're in that world (laughs) you've got to have a head of exorcism so yeah yeah head of supernatural um and apparently after the exorcism nothing no signs no noises how much of that was a was a a psychological um change in the people themselves yeah because if if you aspire if if you um, attribute it to you're projecting that you're manifesting that yourself as a person which is you know some people claim that could be then does having the exorcism also almost act as a kind of uh yeah you're psychologically, it's a bit of a placebo effect. Yeah, a, release, a release valve, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now that that's happened, it's not going to happen anymore. So we're, mm. we're happy and free to carry on our normal lives without waking up to little piles of salt and lights being on and off at the same time. Mm, that's interesting. I've never heard of that one before. That's really interesting, the different bleeding of different realities. Yeah. So we're approaching the hour mark. I just wanted to sort of pull together some of the things we've talked about there which is this idea that you know the paranormal is this huge umbrella term covers a great range of different elements Um, as we move through this series of podcasts we will be picking up on more of these individually we'll be digging into them a little bit deeper we'll be looking at some of the scientific studies that have been done into these because again i think it's important that whilst ash and i are here talking about this to recognize that there is money being spent in researching these and there are scientific studies being published about these. Um, so it isn't just, you know, hearsay and, and thought there is some real uh, scientific weight behind some of these items. So we'll, we'll pick these up in future episodes in a little bit more detail. And yeah, just again, reiterate that challenge to everybody out there. If anybody else can help draw up this beautiful picture we've we've tried to put together of the paranormal umbrella linking together the different topics breaking them down into subcategories highlighting those ones that have overlap and highlighting those ones that don't and perhaps we can start to look at some of the ideas that we feel might be the ways that these things are connected that are linked and see if there is perhaps an underlying mechanism across any of this Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, we were never going to cover the paranormal in its entirety in one episode, but it was just a little bit of a flavor really of what to expect. And yeah, we'll certainly be delving into these topics individually in more depth and then trying to link them together. Um, absolutely. That's the aim. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting getting into some of these, um, some really interesting stuff. I mean, just looking at that, that image now we've got, which we will put on the Twitter as well and, and uh, on social media. But yeah, I mean, you look at some of those that we've touched upon and those ones that we haven't, there's some really interesting yeah. topics there to delve into um yeah looking forward to it as am i so before we go for the end of episode three anything else you want to share ash i don't think so no um no i, th- I think we're just really excited to get get stuck in and start delving into these topics in more detail and uh yeah i'll share your your sentiment there davy please reach out to us let's get involved this should be a collaborative collective thing and, and let's try and on earth a, a bit more understanding of what's what's actually going on fantastic so before we go where can people find you ash yeah people can find me on twitter um at uk underscore uap and that's uh, standing for anomalous phenomena all encompassing, <laughs> not just uh, aerial uh, and you can also find the podcast twitter at the mechanism pod um, and you can also email us at, at the mechanism, sorry, the mechanism pod at proton.me as well. Uh, what about yourself, Davey? Yep. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Davey Johnston. So as we draw to an end on this one, we will look forward to seeing you all in episode four, which will be our sort of final part of this framing sequence before we start to do some deep dives and some uh, specific elements of this we start with a not insignificant question of what is reality we look forward to seeing you then everybody 